Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins of North Christian Church. Uh, this is part 69 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Let's bow our heads and open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this ability to gather together this way, uh, to break bread, the very bread of life together, albeit not in person, Father. We're so grateful for the provisions that you've given us and you've afforded each one of us to do this very thing, Father, to study your word, to grow in your grace and your knowledge, Father. Uh, we're so grateful for your, your mercy, your love, and also your patience with us as we continue to grow through um, somewhat trying times, Father, as we would describe them. Um, we just pray for your encouragement, your spirit's encouragement, in our lives. Uh, we pray also, Father, for those that are ill in the congregation, um, that they're able to receive this message and the others, Father, and be edified. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that they see the light, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to, to make a time like this a time to celebrate um, and to rejoice and be encouraged, Father. We're so grateful for this. We do just ask for your blessings on this message, that it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. I'm going to do this just again. Uh, I'll start this way, uh, just a friendly reminder um, on the coronavirus. Uh, here's my counsel on it. I don't control history. Uh, Christ does. And this is, the, this is the thought pattern you should have in your own souls. Uh, I don't control history. Jesus Christ does. Um, I'll roll with the punches and let him worry about the details. I'm alive. I'm confident. And best of all, I have peace. Um, that should be all of our uh, attitudes, all of our um, stances uh, as these so-called challenging times uh, continue. Uh, as I did last time, I don't always do this, but I'm going to just uh, give you the announcements here just so um, you get them, and I'll probably stop next time around. But obviously, we're in a temporary service uh, situation um, there's no physical classes by mandate of the governor, Governor Baker in Massachusetts. Um, any public gatherings over 25 people are banned. Um, church will reopen once the coronavirus ban is lifted. So here's our temporary service as follows. Uh, I'm going to continue to do it this way, recorded messages. And thank you, by the way, for those of you who gave me feedback. A lot of good feedback on these messages. Certainly a change of pace for both of us. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to record messages in this format uh, and have them posted at regular times. So Sunday at 10 a.m. Or, or prior and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. or prior. Um, podcasts will continue to be updated as normal. No change there. Um, some of you have already received the blog uh, that will maintain its traditional schedule. Uh, for now, uh, we're not going to have any men's or women's Bible studies uh, on Tuesday evenings. And the Thursday evening prayer warriors 
uh, have been instructed to pray privately for now. Uh, just uh, traditional announcements, though. Keep the ill in prayer. A lot of people in fear right now, um, even the lost. Uh, I look at it as an opportunity. Um, don't forget, obviously, to support the church financially. Uh, it could be two, three weeks. Um, and we really depend on uh, your support to pay the mortgage uh, and salaries and utilities, etc. Also, before you forget, if you've got to pause this recording, do so. But make sure you have a Bible ready before you continue. And anyone new, I, I use the uh, English Standard Version. Uh, with that said, uh, let's dig in. On Thursday, we examined a thought Jesus had shared in what we often call the Beatitudes. Let's review that now to get ourselves situated. Go to Matthew 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. Again, uh, we're just going to get ourselves situated again. Uh, this is in the middle of uh, what we call the Beatitudes in the Bible. Um, Matthew 5, verse 6. These are Jesus' words. They read, Blessed, with emphasis on blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, very interesting, the, the uh, pattern here, that someone's blessed for hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The Spirit amplified two parts for us. The first one was this, uh, on the topic of for righteousness. Humans, you know, we thirst for all kinds of things, many of which have zero ability to satisfy our needs. And if we're fair to ourselves and uh, to this particular um, discussion, um, it's true. We thirst and we so-called hunger for so many things that have zero ability to satisfy our needs. Uh, granted, they may quench certain desires, but they won't ever result in blessings. And that's what Jesus was saying in verse 6 there. The second point of emphasis was be satisfied from hortazo in the Greek. It means generally to gorge, uh, to supply food in abundance. It's not just, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, have my thirst quenched or my hunger pangs uh, satisfied. It's going to be more than that even, fill, to feed, to fill, to satisfy in abundance. Again, if we put that into context in verse 6, it reads, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied in abundance. Um, the Lord was teaching his disciples about what true blessings look like, and that when we pursue righteousness, as we'll see in a moment again, when we pursue him, we are abundantly satisfied. Uh, here's another translation just for the sake of amplification. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, in the Amplified here on the board, Blessed, joyful, and nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Again, blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, those who actively seek, that word seek is going to come up quite a bit in this message, uh, those who seek right standing with God. 
uh, for they will be completely satisfied. And obviously the distinction there is against uh, what we noted earlier with our personal desires, things that do not satisfy us. Again, Jesus taught his disciples what true blessings look like. And I think it's easy sometimes that for us to forget. Um, so let's, I want to read this verse in context. Um, if for no other reason than to edify our understanding of what true blessings really are. And as we do this thing, make a mental note of what's not in there. Okay, we're going to read uh, verse 6 in context, in the greater context, at least the front part of the Beatitudes. Um, and we're going to make a mental note as we read <clears throat> Jesus's words of what's not in there. And I'll give you a little hint. You're not going to see your home, your job, your car, your bank account, your reputation. You know, you're not going to see any of the things that Americans preoccupy themselves with, you'll see. Go to Matthew 5.1. Matthew 5.1. Jesus, uh, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, and this, is, um, this word is used uh, several times, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I hope you see a pattern here that blessedness comes out of pursuit. You see? Pursuit of meekness, pursuit of righteousness, pursuit of mercy, of purity of heart, of peace. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then this is peculiar, isn't it? Well, to someone who doesn't understand Jesus, maybe. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Uh, if you recall Thursday's message, uh, that was the end of our message. Let your light shine. This is your opportunity. Now is your time to shine. That was the last point from Thursday evening's message. Uh, in the same way, he said, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I really do like how this passage pretty much encapsulates the message I taught on Thursday. Again, if you recall, we opened with Matthew 5, 6 and closed with what we just read, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Again, though, the instigating verse was verse 6, which reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the principle that the Spirit drove home was twofold. One, we are blessed as seekers of righteousness. And two, we are satisfied when we find it. We are blessed as seekers of righteousness. We are satisfied when we find it. And I love that because the blessing is a result of seeking. It's not even necessarily of obtaining. And that's what we saw, that's what we see in the Beatitudes. You understand? What you see there is a persistent seeking of righteousness, of things that are good. Um, they're not necessarily endpoints. I hope that makes sense. It's not, I'm blessed because I finally got my home. Or I'm blessed because I, my, my reputation is finally intact again or, or established in my society. Uh, those aren't the blessings. The blessing is in the process, in the seeking, in the, uh, more technically speaking, the sanctification. Because that's what's going on as you're being blessed. Uh, you're being sanctified, which is why uh, we're satisfied abundantly um, when we find this righteousness. So... Uh, Jesus often spoke to his disciples this way, uh, encouraging them the way I am, his under-shepherd, uh, the way I'm doing it right now. Uh, he often did this thing. And so what was his encouragement, though? His encouragement was to seek righteousness, and not just any righteousness, not you know self-righteousness the way religious people do, or righteousness that we read in a best-selling book on the New York uh, Times bestseller look. That's not the righteousness he's talking about. It's not even about, you know, claiming uh, that you're a good person or saying, you know, I did this or that or having some laundry list or some checklist that you are able to fulfill each and every day. That's not the kind of righteousness he's talking about. He's talking specifically seeking his righteousness, his righteousness. And since it's his righteousness, it's his to give, right? So um, all the things that we uh, think we want or even need, um, these things are added to our account. Um, in other words, beyond our imagination. Um, the secret, though, is in the seeking. That's the point the Spirit's making here uh, this time around. The secret is in the seeking. Uh, go to Matthew 6.33 to amplify this. Matthew 6.33, right around the corner. Um, I want to show you this. What does he say? He says, but seek first, 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Sound familiar? Right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you're blessed. That was Matthew 5.6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, I love this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, this should be your attitude. Keep your eyes on Christ 
right now. Seek him today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't let the things rob you of your concentration on him today. The idea is set your eyes on Christ today. Seek him today. Seek his righteousness today. You're doing it right now. You're studying the word of God. This is perfect. You hand tomorrow over to his divine providence. Tomorrow, you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Only God does. So why even concern yourself with it? So that's our attitude. Eyes on Christ today. Handing tomorrow over to his divine providence. If we want to live blessed lives, I mean, who doesn't, right? If we want to live blessed lives, we pursue the only one with the ability to bless us in the first place. The world doesn't bless us. The world robs us. It's a thief. It's, it's a robber. Uh, John 6.32. Go to John 6.32. Again, if we want to live blessed lives, we have to read the Bible. The Bible just told us how we're blessed, right? We just read the Beatitudes. Uh, I, I encourage you to go back and read them again. Um, but here's what Jesus has to say. He said, if we want to live blessed lives, we pursue the only one, him, with the ability to bless us in the first place. Look at John 6.32. He said, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Who's he talking about? For, for What's he talking about? The, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. End of story. We seek him. We dine on him. We took ample pause last time um, to think about what Jesus was suggesting in verse 35 when he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Of course, he was speaking about supernatural sustenance, food akin to, to what he alluded to in another passage we've uh, been noting as of late, John 4.34 on the board. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Go ahead and think about that while I take a sip of my drink. Uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you see the, the, the nature of his sustenance? It was to do something. It was a process. Uh, it was to seek to please his father in heaven. Sound familiar? We just talked about that. So if we tie some of this together uh, in the first, what, 20 minutes or so of this message, we conclude that we are blessed and satisfied when we pursue, with emphasis on pursue, when we pursue righteousness. It's not our landing place, right? We don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like. It's not where we land necessarily. It's how we are today. It's how we seek. It's how we pursue righteousness. In other words, how we do the will of him who sends us to accomplish his work. So this is tantamount to saying that we pursue righteousness in Christ Jesus, for he is our daily bread. 
Uh, we are after his thoughts, his mind, a la, you know, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Uh, we have the mind of Christ. This is our sustenance. And again, I, I, I'm pleased that you listen to this message because this is your sustenance. You're doing it right now. You're being fed. Um, let us not forget also, though, Philippians 4.7, uh, when we pursue this way, when we pursue righteousness, Philippians 4, 7 on the board, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we're all fed, we have peace. Do we not? Consider your own soul right now as compared to, say, I don't know, an hour ago. Are you not at a greater point of peace? Are you not being washed this way with the word of God? being fed this way, in abundance, uh, are you not, do you not have a greater peace right now in your soul? Being filled with the Spirit, being fed this way, dining on the very bread of life, do you not have a greater peace doing this thing than any other thing? Of course. Again, pulling this all together so far, we conclude that blessing and satisfaction come from doing His will, from this pursuit, from this seeking which is to say that we have harmony with him personally because that's what he did. That's what he wants. That's his mind, right? Again, we conclude that blessings and satisfaction come from doing his will, which is to say that we have harmony with him personally. Uh, reflect on this for a moment. Christ's will is ever-present, right? His will existed before hum humankind uh, was even created, our job is to orient to it in humility. That's our job. Orient to his will. Uh, have Seek harmony with him, which is tantamount to saying seeking righteousness. That's the part. We have a thirst for it. We have a hunger for it. That's the pursuit of it. That's the part we play in this theater we call life. Um, what we don't want to do is what the religious Jews did during Jesus' time. Go to John 539 in your Bibles. John 539. I'm going to take another sip. Hopefully this isn't too loud. There's some ice in my cup. <laughs> Apologies if you can hear too much of that. Uh, John 539. You, you search the scriptures. He was speaking to the religious Jews, right? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, they were completely misdirected. Um, they thought that knowing scripture uh, was the key to life. And he said, no, 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 no. That, that scripture talks about me. Um, you're supposed to read my word to find me. Um, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So here's the principle from Thursday up on the board. Uh, the religious prototype, the religious Jews knew Holy Scripture, and Jesus conceded that truth, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him. They are the prototype for religious folks today who read their Bibles, go to church, do all the right things, and yet they refuse to come to Jesus, a la John 5, 40. Let me see if I can shine a little more light on this for you and just concentrate now. Uh, 
If we read our Bibles for the sake of knowledge only, if we read our Bibles for the sake of knowledge only, say you want to learn a new doctrine or you, you, know, you, want, to, uh, you want more knowledge to be, let's say, puffed up, we miss the point. That's the illustration in John 5, 39 to 40. If we step back and critique what the problem is with this approach, we quickly realize the following. I'll call it the folly of arrogance up here on the board. A, a person can read Holy Scripture and be unholy while doing so because their motivation is wrong. Let me say that again. A person can read Holy Scripture and be unholy while doing so because their motivation is wrong. Even a demon, after all, can read Holy Scripture, uh, but they're unholy because their motivation is wrong. They, they, they probably want to use it through another vessel like, like Satan did with Jesus uh, when he tempted him in Matthew 4 to try to use it as a, as a vehicle to try to trip him up, to twist, twist Scripture. Um, so your motivation is everything to God. To gain knowledge in the absence of a desire to serve the Lord is to miss the point of Holy Scripture. That's John 5, 39-40. Uh, this is the way of the religious Jews in Jesus' time. And that's what we can call um, confidently the folly of arrogance. Contrarily, if we read Holy Scripture with a pure heart, uh, in an open, humble mind, uh, with the right seeking, the right thirst, the right hunger, the right pursuit of righteousness, which is to say, the right pursuit of him. If we read Holy Scripture with a pure heart and an open, humble mind, we are sanctified by it. And that's the key difference. The Jews of, of, of Jesus' day, the religious ones, they weren't sanctified. They were, they were puffed up, but they weren't sanctified. Uh, if we do this, we're sanctified and we are blessed and satisfied to steal from Matthew 5, 6 again. Furthermore, the word of God is meant to cleanse us to wash over us, to wipe off all the dirt and the grime of this fallen world and its leader. Isn't that the very practical description of what it means to be sanctified experientially? To have these things just sort of uh, washed away? To have the, you know, the, the things that weigh us down, the dirt and the grime? To have that stuff washed away experientially, that's what it means to be sanctified. So, Practically speaking, this means that when we read our Bibles, or even listen to a message like this one, the intent is what matters. The intent is to get to know the person the Bible is meant to hold up to the light. Uh, that is to say, he, the light himself, Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the intent, to know the person of the Bible, to know the light that brings life to men. If we seek him, the light, we see things as they are. That's the beauty about the mind of Christ, is that uh, we, when we have it, we have truth. We have a lens to look through. We have light on every situation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like to call it, the you know, seeing it all as truth, Ephesians 5.13. Uh, when we have him, we have his light, and we see things as they are, as truth. And this is sanctification and freedom, my friends. I want to, let's look at a scene uh, in the Bible that really drives this point home. And as we read this passage together, look at the juxtaposition of good and evil in the passage. 
Look at the um, humility of the apostles uh, and the arrogance of their audience. Look at how these two things collide. Go to Acts 4, verse 8. Acts 4, verse 8. Again, uh, when we read our Bibles and do this thing, the intent is to know the person the Bible is meant to hold up, uh, and that is Jesus Christ. Acts 4, verse 8. Again, keep in mind um, the collision, if you would, of humility and arrogance. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man's has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing uh, before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you notice again, he's really pointing out the person. He says, no other name. That's equivalent to saying uh, in, in um, speech of the time, uh, Jesus himself, no other name, no other person. He didn't say knowledge. You see, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, focuses on Jesus. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So again, do you see the contrast between humility and arrogance in this passage? Apparently, the apostles weren't quite as well-versed in Bible verses. I mean, the religious Jews uh, deemed them uneducated, uneducated, but yet they put the religious Jews to shame because they actually knew the one uh, that uh, the Bible verses actually speak of. Isn't that amazing? They might not have had all the knowledge, per se, uh, memorized scripture and, you know, uh, religious, this kind of a thing, but they knew the one the Bible actually speaks of. And that was Jesus's warning to the same crowd, if you would. It's an incredible display of the types of collisions that occur in our lives when we stand up for truth in a world that rejects it, rejects him, the very manifestation of grace and truth. Again, the point on the board is the folly of arrogance. A person can read Holy Scripture and be unholy while doing so because of because their motivation is wrong to gain knowledge in the absence of a of a desire to serve the lord is to miss the point of holy scripture Allah John 5:39-40 this was the way of the religious jews in Jesus's time so the practical point the spirit's making is that when we read our bibles or even listen to a message like this one the intent is to get to know the person of the bible the person, the central person, the central theme even of the Bible, and that is Jesus. For again, there is no other name <clears throat> under heaven worthy of our undivided devotion to, to steal from 1 Corinthians 7.35. From Thursday's message, we have the result of the person whose devotions and affections 
are actually divided. Again, it's another instance of the folly of arrogance. Um, this is what happens when a person's devotion uh, is divided. Arrogance leaves you unprotected. Unprotected. That's what arrogance does. It's like having a full suit of armor, um, a la Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, and taking it off in the midst of battle when you need it the most. That's the folly of arrogance. It makes no sense. So you, you can be protected, but you're going you're gonna to drop uh, the helmet, the shield, the boots. Uh, you're going to drop all that. You're going to drop the things that protect you. Makes no sense. And just recall Philippians 4, 7 in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard garrison, protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's ridiculous to move away from the blessing of peace. It's ridiculous to take off the thing that protects you most. Well, we have to seek him. Seek him, my friends. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> we seek him and we're protected. Jesus said to his disciples um, 2,000 years ago, very simply, follow me. Well, he's saying the same thing to each of us this day. Those who truly follow him, who seek him diligently, they are the ones who reap the blessings of actually knowing him. Those who truly follow him, who seek him diligently, they are the ones who reap the blessings of actually knowing him. You understand, that's that's one of the greatest things about being sanctified, is you get to know your Lord and Savior more. This is the same person whom you put your entire faith in, who was crucified for you personally. Same person. Don't you want to get to know him a little bit more? Don't you want to get to know why he did what he did? Don't you want to get to know that person's love? Um, one of those blessings is so simple that we can sometimes forget about it. Up here on the board, Jesus said, I know my own and my own know me. Knowing that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the unique one, knows you personally is such a tremendous blessing. It, you, you, you can't, there's no way to put uh, a, a, even a sense of magnitude on it. It's infinite. Knowing that Jesus Christ knows you personally is such a tremendous blessing. And to know him in return intimately is simply divine. Um, on Thursday, this was just about the time in the message that the Spirit started talking, you know, brass tacks. Right, let's get down to, to brass tacks, as, as we say. And I just want you to reflect with me for a moment. If we claim to love Jesus, uh, we claim, oh, I love that point in the board, and to know him in return is, you know, it's it's simply divine. It just sounds so amazing, doesn't it? If we claim to love Jesus, then why do we spend so much time preoccupied with worldly things? Whether it's the fear-mongering that's plagued the world nowadays or something else. And just a little side note on that, um, you know that's the real pandemic, right? It's, it's not the coronavirus. It's the fear it's produced. 
That's the pandemic. We live in a world, remember this, uh, just a side note, we live in a world architected to distract us from the one person. We just, we just studied this. We live in a world that's architected to distract us from the one person who we owe all of our affections. And so we fail because we are weak. We have a, a, a world system even uh, with a God over it, as the Bible says, architected to distract us from the one thing that sanctifies us, and that is Christ Jesus and, and knowing him personally and getting to know him uh, in an increasing way. But since we have all this pressure against us and we're human, we fail because we are weak. So here's the question the Spirit put on the table for us, and we have to concentrate again. Do you love the world and the things in it? And don't just say, oh, no, definitely not. I'm, you know, I'm such an amazing Christian. I love Jesus. And, you know, you're, you're in the moment and, you know, you say, no, in the moment, right now, absolutely. No, definitely. I, I don't love the world. I don't love the things of this world. Um, maybe that's true in the next, I don't know, 25 minutes until this message ends. I don't know. Uh, how about J. Vernon McGee? I love it. Your actions speak so loud up here on the board. Your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. The Bible teaches us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And enmity, by the way, means a state of being actively opposed to someone. Actively opposed. So the Spirit's been saying, look at your life. Does it run? If, if Jesus were running, would you be shoulder to shoulder with him? Or would you be running in the opposite direction on the track? You know, every every half a lap, uh, assuming you guys are running the same speed, uh, you say, oh, hey, Jesus. You know, and then you meet again on the other side. Oh, hey, Jesus. And that's that's your relationship? Or are you running side by side with him having a conversation? You see? Uh, to be uh, at enmity is to be going in the opposite direction. Go to James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3. Again, do you love the world and the things in it? That's been the sort of the uh, the source of uh, pondering over the past couple of messages. Uh, the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and enmity means a state of being actively opposed to someone. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, your motivation is wrong. This harkens back to the beginning of this message. Your motivation is wrong. Motivation is everything. See? You don't just read the Bible so that you can somehow pluck out a blessing. Um, the blessing, again, is in the pursuit. Uh, that's the perspective we need to have. You ask and you do not receive uh, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes, to the, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here's our instruction. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from 
you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, there's dipsukas again. Be wretched. I like this too. I love verse, verses 9 and 10 in James 4. Um, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. This really ought to be our response to hearing a message like this one, to whatever degree we have befriended the world. So, you know, I don't know, this past week you're out there having a gay old time with a bunch of unbelievers doing ungodly things and you're laughing and carrying on. May your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That is uh, the exact opposite. That's when you're running in the opposite direction on the track. Then Jesus Christ, let those things be crushed by a message like this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Again, the question on the table is, do you love the world and the things in it? And as Mr. McGee would say, your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. We are lied to daily. We have to accept this. We are lied to daily. It's the word of God that protects us. The very mind of Christ. Let me ask you this. Is the ink on the pages of your Bible, is that Jesus Christ? Of course not. We don't worship ink in pages. We worship a man. We don't worship ink in pages. We worship a man. If we didn't have the biblical perspective of the human flesh, it'd almost seem odd that we wouldn't follow Jesus always, right? It seems odd not to. I mean, if he's the greatest blessing to ever grace the earth uh, in human form, it seems like everybody would follow him, right? But we don't. Even believers run in the opposite direction. Even the believers have a certain type of enmity against him. So the truth is, um, we don't always follow him. Um, but it makes sense knowing that the, what the Bible says about our fallen natures. Here's Paul's encouragement on that subject in, uh, up here on the board in the Amplified Classic, Galatians 5.1. In this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. That's our We would call that our position in Christ, right? Being a saved individual. We have the rights. We don't always exercise them. In this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then. Here's the encouragement. Stand fast then. And do not be hampered and held and snared and submit again to a yoke of slavery, which you have once put off. There's no reason for it. It's silliness. And so we're encouraged over and over again in the Bible uh, to do this thing that Paul writes about. Paul was essentially making really the same case I'm, I'm making here with you right now. It just doesn't make sense for a believer in Christ Jesus uh, to be enslaved all over again to the things they've been set free from. Remember the question on the table, are you still in love with the world? Do you love the world? But th the problem obviously is, it doesn't make sense, but the problem is uh, we listen to the lies, don't we? You see, that's the real plague, isn't it? We listen to the lies. Oh, you better be careful. You better be careful. You're going to lose your bank account. Oh, you better be careful. You're going to lose your reputation. Oh, you better be careful. That's the real plague, isn't it? It's fear. 
It's fear-mongering. Um, and the Bible speaks, I believe it's 1 John 4, 19. Um, there is no fear in love. These things, fear is mutually exclusive with the mind of Christ. And so when we're fearful, we have to know somewhere in our lives, somewhere in our psyche, somewhere in our souls, there's a lie festering. There's something haunting us. There's something, you know, with tendrils still lurking around in there, causing some form of misery. Something's not oriented. Some lie has disoriented us to the mind of Christ. That's the real plague. It's not the coronavirus or any other disease. Hence our recurring reminder in Holy Scripture. This has been going on for probably a couple of months now. 1 John 4, 1. I'll give you the message this time. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. I don't even watch the news. I'm not saying don't watch the news. That's my personal preference because I think most of it's garbage. Um, don't believe everything you hear. The only, the only source you can really believe 100% is the Word of God. Um, again, my dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God even comes from God. I'm thinking about the Pope right now. The dude is evil. And yet he talks about God as if he knows him. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. The follow-up question that really drove this point home on Thursday is a very practical one. And it takes an honest assessment of our lives. And let's call it an inventory or a catalog, if you would. In other words, looking back on um, the things we do, not just the things that come out of our mouth, but the, you know, the things we do. Here's the follow-up question. Ooh, entitlement. Um, is it possible that you've grown accustomed to your life of privilege? Is it possible that you've grown accustomed to your life of privilege? Have you forgotten that you're not entitled to anything but your needs, Philippians 4.19. Have you forgotten that, that you're not entitled to anything but your needs? Do you know how destructive entitlement is? We like to point our fingers at bratty kids, right? Uh, look in the mirror. What are you actually entitled to? Oh, so oh, so your 2000 and what? 2016 car has a what? I don't know. Has an oil leak or something? Uh, I don't know. You're, you're what? You, 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 you didn't get uh, paper towels at Stop and Shop this week because they were run out because of crazy people? Um, you didn't, what? What, you couldn't have your favorite burger because the burger joint was closed? Um, are you serious with this stuff? How entitled are we? Uh, is it possible that you've grown accustomed to your life of privilege? And that entitlement is the source of your so-called suffering. Have you forgotten that you're not entitled to anything but your needs? Have you renamed wants as needs? Is it possible then, now listen up, is it possible then that you really do love the world to some degree and the things in it? Is it? I mean, what are you complaining about? What's the so-called inconvenience that's you know, uh, plaguing your life right now. Hmm. Is that why you get so bitter 
and or fearful when the world takes things away from you, like, say, toilet paper or restaurants? So here's the rubber hits the road uh, point from Thursday, and it's a secular proverb, and I, I don't mind borrowing from it at all. You don't really know someone until you say no to them. It's true. You don't really know someone until you say no to them. Everybody's happy when everything's going well and everything's yes, yes, yes. But what about when you say no to them? Most of you have prayed to God to restore your lifestyle. And yet, it's that very lifestyle. Listen to me. It's that very lifestyle that has kept you ratcheted into a persistent state of entitlement. See the connection? If you don't, re-listen to this message because it's there. Some of you, I would argue probably most of you, uh, and I'm not judging you, have prayed to God to restore your lifestyle. And yet, and remember, God knows everything. He knows what's best for everyone, including you. Most of you have prayed to God to restore your lifestyle, and yet it's that very lifestyle that has kept you ratcheted into a persistent state of entitlement. In other words, if he never shook things up, you'd never leave the state of entitlement. You just go on thinking that you, what, have earned these things? That you deserve these wants that you now so conveniently call needs? Who are you, by the way, that questions God? When Job got a little loose with God, um, God commenced possibly the greatest ass-kicking recorded in human history. And I apologize about the swear, but it's not really a swear. God commenced possibly the greatest butt-kicking recorded in human history on someone he obviously loved dearly. For Job was the same one, uh, excuse me, God was the same one who offered up Job to Satan for trial as the blameless and upright one who stood alone in his righteousness among all others. Go to Job 38, verse 1. I'm going to take a sip of water. Job 38, verse 1. Who are you? That's the question on the table. We're not just going to point fingers at Job. Who are you? To question God. To even, you know, go to him and say, oh, Lord, Lord, I want my life back. I don't know, maybe maybe he's trying to mix it up on you. Maybe he's trying to shake things up because that's what you need because you're entitled. Job 38.1 Then the Lord answered Job. Again, this is after all the lamenting and the back and forth with his friends. And, you know, Job's at a pretty weak spot right now and he got a little loose with God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without, no without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Dot, dot, dot. And he just goes on. Um, I would say feel free to keep on reading uh, on your own time until the end of the book of Job, uh, as it may be counsel you need to hear in your state of entitlement. Um, just to be fair to Job, we see the humility that made him special uh, in the eyes of God. Go back to Job 1, verse 21. Job 1, 21. Um, some of us just need to learn this rudimentary thing that he says here at the beginning of this 
massive book, Job 121. And he said, after he lost a ton, right? Satan had already attacked him. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's uh, that's what humility looks like, my friends. My prayer is that you're, uh, you know, if 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 you're a little like our friend Job. Um, and by the way, I can't wait to meet Job in heaven. I just cannot wait. I, I hope that your heart's intention is good, and that you, like the rest of us, you know, we just lose our way for a bit. We we lose sight of the fact that we really are entitled uh, individuals, uh, especially in America. And our expectations are, are skewed terribly um, from what the Bible would call needs. We call our wants needs. And from that to the degree we do that, to that degree we suffer. Um, and, and by the way, don't make this about you and me, because it really isn't. Um, up here on the board, Galatians 4.16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And by the way, I'm certainly not the only messenger of truth in your life. You've got the, the primary one right in front of you, presumably your Bible, and the very manifestation of the word of truth abiding in you, presuming you're a believer. Um, when you read your Bible, the truth is in your face. Has that truth become your enemy? Has the author become your enemy because he tells you the truth? Does the word of God regularly tell you no and you balk at it? Finally, I'll ask you again in closing on the topic of entitlement. Is it possible that you've grown accustomed to your life of privilege? Have you forgotten that you're not entitled to anything but your needs? Have you renamed wants as needs? So let me ask you a couple of questions just to, to seed your own thinking after this message is over. Is it possible that this is the real plague in your life that you're entitled? Is it possible that this is the real plague in your life? Some of you might be saying, hey, listen, you know, going without toilet paper, that's a neat. No, it's not. There are lots of people in this world, I've been there, that do not have toilet paper. I'm not going to get into the details, but they don't. So what makes you think that you're going to die because you don't have toilet paper? What makes you think that's a need? That is a luxury by uh, many people's accounts. Just not in America where we call, you know, where we call historically wants, needs. Anyways, is it possible that this is the real plague in your life, that you're an entitled brat? Is it then possible that your misery is the result of this plague? Is it possible that your misery is a result of this plague? Fair question for all of us to ponder. And as a corollary to that, I'll ask one final question. And this has to do with when God says no. When you moan and groan and ask for your old life back and God says no, what do you think and do? And be honest. When you moan and groan and ask for your old life back and God says no, what do you think and do? Do you seek for truth or devise ways to circumvent his will for your life? Do you seek for truth like we talked about at the beginning of this message? Because that's the righteous thing to do. That person is blessed. 
that person is satisfied? Do you do that thing? Are, are things added unto your account because you've sought things first? Sought righteousness first? Do you seek for truth? Or do you devise ways to circumvent his will for your life? Do you humbly submit to your circumstances? And just think for perspective's sake, God knows best. So if you're in this situation that you're in, whatever it happens to be, and I know there are people on the other side of the planet that hear these messages as well, uh, whatever circumstance you're in, to borrow from Paul, uh, do you humbly submit to your circumstances? We have to accept the fact that God ordains everything, has ordained every moment in your life. And you know what? God knows best. So do you humbly submit to your circumstances or do you arrogantly reject them, supposing you know best? Mm. Supposing you know best. And don't measure your answers in word only. Make sure you take the time to look at how you say responded to the so-called quote inconveniences that we are you know supposedly suffering nowadays okay uh, make sure you take that time how, how have you responded to to the, the lay of the land nowadays the so-called inconveniences inconveniences that you're supposedly suffering from nowadays are you content knowing that God's got your best interests in mind? Maybe he needs to shake it up. Are you content knowing that God's got your best interests in mind? Or have you been a little brat who's forgotten where they came from? Only you can answer that for yourself. All I ask, be honest. That's what counts. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word. Father, we just are so grateful for your grace and your mercy and your patience and your love with us, Father. We're so grateful for truth that sets us free. And we know that in humility, we are sanctified, Father. Help us in our humility. Help us with our faith. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.